Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. Fred, morning church. It is so good to see you all here today. And a shout out to those that are out on the patio or who are watching online. We are glad that you're with us as well. Uh, I see a lot of new faces, so if you don't mind, I want to start by telling you a little bit about myself. My name is Peter Charles Kelly. I was born on April 24th, 1980 in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, which means exactly one week from today I'll turn 42. You can make a note of that if you'd like. I have been married to my wonderful wife, Jen, for 17 and a half years. We have three kids, Emma, who's 14, Moses, who's 12, and Myla Blue, who's 10. We moved from Corvallis to Bend about seven years ago, and we love it here. Um, When people ask me if I went to Oregon State University, my answer is sometimes. But I do have a master's degree in applied theology from Multnomah Seminary in Portland, and I'm working on a doctorate of ministry from Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. I, uh, <laughs> I'm a fourth generation pastor, and I've been in full-time Christian ministry since I was 18 years old. I once played drums in a Christian ska band that has a gold record, and uh, in all my travels, I've only boarded the wrong airplane one time. And that's because I was at the wrong airport. So it happens. My driver's license says that I'm six foot, 225 pounds. I'm actually 5'11", 270. I use a CPAP to sleep every night. And every morning I take pills for depression, acid reflux, and allergies to my dog. I also suffer from severe alcohol use disorder, and as of today, it's been 1,017 days since my last drink. I'm a type nine on the Enneagram, which means my life motto is, I'd rather not. Even if it's something I like with people I like, I would rather not. My spiritual gift is laziness, so why stand if you can sit? Why sit if you can lie down? And I avoid conflict like the plague. So that means I will smile and nod at you, even if what you're saying to me is the stupidest thing anyone's ever said. I'm an extreme introvert who loves people. I'm insecure about my intelligence, even though I actually think I'm pretty smart. I don't like my body and I've been ashamed of it since fourth grade. There's never been a presidential candidate I was excited to vote for. 2020 and 2021 left me with relational trauma and social anxiety that I don't know if I'll ever fully heal from. Uh, I love music, movies, sports, and books. Most of all, I love food. I will eat anything you put in front of me, and I will thoroughly and genuinely enjoy it. And finally, you already know this, but here's the most important thing I want you to know about me. I'm a Christian. And even though it has grown increasingly frustrating and embarrassing by what much of Christianity has come to represent in our country, 
I remain hopelessly enamored with Jesus. I love him, and I love his church, and I couldn't leave him even if I wanted to. He's the best friend I've ever had. He's been with me through everything I just shared and so much more. He's literally my entire life. And of course, he's the reason that we're here today. We're here to celebrate Jesus, his life and teaching, his suffering and death, and ultimately his triumphant resurrection from the grave. I even dressed up for it, which you'll notice. It takes a lot for a Bendite to get dressed up. For me, it's pretty much weddings, funerals, resurrections. That's what it takes. So that's what we're doing here today. And uh, in the words of the Pope, we are an Easter people and hallelujah is our song. So uh, most people know that for Christians, Christmas and Easter are kind of our two big holy days or holidays. In fact, our Catholic friends even have a term for people who only go to Mass on Christmas and Easter. They call them priesters. Um, but other than that, the way these two holidays are celebrated in our society uh, couldn't actually be any further apart. Like, for example, I'm guessing you haven't spent the last six weeks stressed out about finishing all your Easter shopping, right? I doubt your family is sending out Easter cards to all of your relatives. You probably haven't been listening to nonstop Easter music on the radio and watching your favorite Easter movies every, every night, right? Now, to be fair, this last week did feel a lot more like Christmas weather than Easter weather, and I was starting to dream of a white Easter. But the truth is, while Christmas is really the biggest holiday in the world, and we basically celebrate it for an entire month, Easter is pretty far down on the list, like somewhere between St. Patrick's and Valentine's Day or something. Why is that? There's probably lots of reasons, but I think one of them is that unlike Christmas, with baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men, the Easter story isn't quite as memorable, to be honest. Like, we get the main point of it, but the actual storyline and the characters just aren't quite as clear. And so in the version of the story that we're looking at today from the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, we have this group of women who were there when Jesus was crucified. They were there when Jesus died. They were there when they took Jesus off the cross and laid him in the tomb. And now, a couple days later, they're going back to visit that tomb and to tend to his body. And here's what happens. Verse one, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So think about this for a moment. At Christmas, you have the shepherds and the wise men that come to the manger and they look and they see Jesus. But at Easter, you have these women that come to the tomb looking for Jesus, and they can't find him. And then, as they're confused and as they're afraid, they're trying to figure out what's going on, this, these two angels show up in verse 5 and say to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here he is risen. So here's what's interesting to me. The message of Christmas is that God has come to us in Jesus Christ. And we also gather around the manger and we say, he's here. 
The long-awaited Messiah of Israel has finally come. He's here. But at Easter, we gather around the tomb and we say, he's not here. Jesus is gone. And we don't know where he is. Which is just kind of a strange thing to celebrate. In fact, did you notice that in this scripture reading, Jesus never actually makes an appearance? There's quite a few other characters in this story. Jesus isn't one of them. He'll show up later on in Luke, but the whole point of this passage is that the tomb is empty and Jesus is nowhere to be found. So this is why I think that we don't really know what to do with Easter. Because the primary picture of Easter is an empty tomb. Or you could say Easter begins with emptiness. How do you celebrate emptiness? How do you decorate your house for emptiness? One of my favorite writers, Frederick Buechner, puts it like this. The symbol of Easter is the empty tomb. You can't depict or domesticate emptiness. You can't make it into pageants and string it with lights. It doesn't move people to give presents to each other or sing old songs. It ebbs and flows all around us, the Easter tide. Even the great choruses of Handel's Messiah sound a little like a handful of crickets chirping under the moon. Easter begins with emptiness, which is problematic because for most of our lives, emptiness is a bad thing. Think about empty calories, an empty gas tank, empty cupboards, or an empty seat at the dinner table, an empty womb. Think about empty words, empty gestures, empty feelings, or empty religion. Or how about this? Have you ever been given an empty promise? Yes. Lied to, led on, let down by someone you trusted? And it's not just people. Sometimes it feels like life itself is full of empty promises. You've probably heard the stat that the suicide rates tend to spike around Christmas time. But it's actually not true. November and December are actually among the months with the lowest suicide rates. The most suicides happen in the springtime, right as the weather is starting to get nicer. And it's surprising, but I heard a psychologist explain that lots of people who are depressed and struggling with suicidal ideation during the winter, they stick it out because they hope that they'll feel better once the weather changes. But then with the spring, the skies turn blue again, the sun comes out, and they're still depressed. So even sunshine can feel like an empty promise. So if Easter begins with emptiness, I wonder if the best way for us to celebrate Easter is to start by locating our own emptiness. I wonder where that is for you. Where in your life are you experiencing emptiness? I want you to take a little inventory of your soul this morning. Pay attention to where you feel empty. Maybe it's the emptiness of loss. Something or someone you love 
is no longer in your life. Maybe it's the emptiness of fear, the anxiety about an unknown future, whether it's financially or medically or vocationally. Maybe it's the emptiness of disappointment. You've let yourself down. Or life hasn't gone the way you thought it should, or maybe you're even disappointed with God. Wherever your emptiness is, I want to encourage you this morning, don't ignore it. Don't look away from it. But instead, look at it. And own it. And I want you to consider the possibility that just like the empty tomb that the women found in the garden that morning, the emptiness in your life might actually be a gift from God. Augustine of Hippo is widely recognized as one of the most influential human beings who's ever lived. He was born in North Africa about 300 years after the time of Christ, and he grew up to become a brilliant philosopher and teacher. But after years of academic accomplishment, professional prosperity, and licentious living, Augustine found himself empty, which led him on a journey of seeking truth and meaning, and ultimately he found an answer for his emptiness in Jesus. He would go on to become known as St. Augustine, one of the fathers of the Christian church. And in his autobiography, Confessions, Augustine wrote what the philosopher Peter Kreeft calls one of the greatest sentences ever written. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. See, Augustine recognized that the deep restlessness or the emptiness that he experienced in his life could only be explained by the idea that God made him and all humans in such a way that we can only find true rest or fulfillment in him. So Peter Kreef says, the fundamental claim of Christian anthropology that God has made us for himself explains the fundamental fact of human experience that our hearts are restless. Easter begins with emptiness. And while most of us spend our lives trying to avoid emptiness, going to the tomb and finding it empty was the best possible thing that could have happened to these women. Now, I know this is a little bit of a dated reference, but there's a great picture of this in the movie Goodwill Hunting. If you remember Will Hunting, who's played by Matt Damon as this like mathematical genius, and he's working as a janitor. And Will's best friend Chucky, who's played by Ben Affleck, is angry at Will for wasting his life by staying in South Boston and hanging out with losers like him. And if you remember, there's a scene where they're smoking a cigarette at a construction site, and Chucky says to Will, you know what the best part of my day is? It's the 10 seconds from when I pull up to the curb to when I get to your door. Because I think maybe I'll get there and I'll knock at the door and you won't be there. No goodbye, no see you later, no nothing. You just left. I don't know much, but I know that. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, it's like 30 years old. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, that's on you. Chucky pulls up to the curb. He knocks on Will's door and, of course, Will's not there. And he peers through the window and he realizes that Will has finally done it. 
He left his lame life behind, and he's going off to do the thing that he was made to do. And the movie ends with Chucky going back to his car, laughing and telling his friends, he's not here. He's not here. So sometimes he's not here is the best news in the world. And even though Easter begins with emptiness, it leads to rejoicing. First comes absence, then comes the fullness of joy. Which is something most of us have learned to be true, right? That every time we take a step forward in life, we have to leave something behind. Like before we can take our first breath as humans, we have to leave the comfort of our mother's womb. Before we can give ourselves to someone in marriage, we have to let go of our own independence. Before we can say yes to whatever opportunity lies in front of us, we most likely have to say no to all the other opportunities. So before we can receive new life, we must first be empty enough to accept it. Which is why I think Jesus spent so much of his time hanging around the poor. He was constantly among the hungry, the outcast, the rejected, and the oppressed. Why? Because he knew they were the ones empty enough to receive him. And for so many of us, we try to ignore our emptiness or we try to fill it with things that ultimately are only going to make it worse. And as Augustine said, God made us so that our hearts will be empty until they're filled with him. Here's what I've found to be true, friends. The world offers us promises that are full of emptiness. But Easter offers us an emptiness that's full of promise. Because the tomb is empty, the risen Christ calls us to new life. And so I hope you never stop searching the emptiness. And I hope that you will trust Jesus with the empty places in your life to make room and let his resurrection in. Now, before I close, I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that for some of us that are here today, this may all sound like a really nice idea, but there's no way we're actually going to take it seriously. After all, we're smart, thoughtful, educated, realistic people. We don't get caught up in fairy tales or conspiracy theories. If that's you today, I hear you. I get your skepticism. In fact, I respect it. But there's one last thing I want to show you in the scripture, and that is that you're not the first one to hear the Easter story and have a hard time believing it's true. In verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I love how honest the Bible is. Nonsense is what you might say a fairly generous translation of the Greek word that Luke uses here. It's accurate, but it's generous. The Greek word is leros, which can also be translated silliness, idle talk, or foolishness. So in other words, when you think someone is full of it and you call out their leros, do you get what I'm saying? The first people who heard the story of the empty tomb 
This is what they thought of it. They thought it sounded like a load of Leros. Now, I'm aware that there are those among us here today that are hearing this story, and it sounds like a bunch of Leros. I get it, and I really do. And in fact, if this story doesn't sound too good to be true, then I haven't done a good job of telling it. But as I told you, I'm here today because I believe this story. And I actually believe it more than I ever have before. And this room is full of people who believe this story, or at least we're trying to. We want to believe. The rest of Luke's gospel is about people who at first thought this whole thing was a bunch of Leros. But eventually, they find themselves believing in Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't believe this story, I want you to believe it. I want you to meet the Jesus that I know. The Jesus who saved the world and who's saving me. And that's a decision you can actually make today. You can choose to believe in him. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Or as we heard in the children's story this morning, because of Jesus, you can now come in. As we close, if this is you, and we never do this here, but if this is you, I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. And this isn't a magic prayer or a get out of hell free card or something. This is simply a first step to responding in Jesus, to Jesus in faith and obedience. And so if you're ready to do that this morning, I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me silently in your own heart. And don't just say these words, but pray them. Let's stand and we'll pray this together. Heavenly Father, I confess today that Jesus is Lord. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of mercy and grace. Thank you for sending your Son who lived and died and rose again so I could be saved and set free. So please forgive me Come into my life by your Holy Spirit that I may live with you in your kingdom forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, the good news is that God heard you and the answer is yes. So congratulations. And I would encourage you, if you prayed it for the first time, to tell somebody about your decision today. And whether it's here at Antioch or some other community of Christ followers, find a place to get baptized and to join the family of God. I love you all. We're going to sing one last song together. Happy Easter. <laughs>